Welcome to Conversations with Parents Who Write, a podcast that encourages parents to make time for themselves and unleash their creativity. I'm your host, Erin P.T. Canning, a mom of two young boys, a writer and editor, and your personal advocate for pursuing your goals. In each episode, we'll dive into how and why these parents make time to write, what keeps them inspired, and what they've learned throughout their journey. Of course, we can't forget the kids. We'll also discuss how writing has helped and influenced the family and which books they love most. Enjoy the laughs, the writing tips, the parenting stories, and the relief in knowing you're not alone. Hey, friends. On tonight's episode, I am joined by Iris Imaginoria. Iris is the creator of the Imaginorium Academy, a story-based theater camp for kids ages 8 through 14 where she teaches classes in acting, writing, stagecraft, mythology, pop culture, LGBTQ identity, and, I'm going to say this right, metamorph magic special effects makeup. She also teaches performing arts and writing at a middle school in Providence, Rhode Island. Her debut novel, Imagine the Key, is essentially a middle-grade fictional memoir as it borrows from Iris's life story because... Real life can be stranger than fiction. In this book, which is the first of a new series, a young girl finds a magical key in a library book that lets her walk between worlds, out of her home and into mythical lands of imagination. I always dreamed of this concept as a kid, how many times I wanted to find a key to be able to go in a book, 100%. So I I just love that concept. On a more personal level, Iris has also published a collection of plays. Iris is a survivor many times over, including experiences with cancer and mental health. She hopes that by sharing some of her very real experiences, she can make a difference in the lives of others. Her experiences as a parent of a 14-year-old gender-fluid teen greatly informs her writing. She also identifies as both bisexual and as having invisible disabilities and hopes there can be more books to include marginalized voices for middle graders. Iris is here, and I am going to bring her into the show now. Yay, the magic worked. It did. (laughs) The magic worked. I love it. This whole thing that you're doing here in being able to talk to the parents who write, I, I think it's wonderful, and it's so exciting. I've wanted to be able to get my voice out there in some other ways. And this is the first chance I've had to do this sort of thing. And so I'm really excited. Being a parent is really hard. And being a writer is really hard. Being a person is really hard. And being a woman is really hard. And uh, all of it. And we do it. And we get up each day. And sometimes if you can get to the end of the day, and you're just still breathing, and the kids are still alive, and you just got through another day, You've done something really, really great. And that is just, that is success. And so what if I have put thousands of hours into a book and I have made $45? Okay, so what? I have a room full of costumes and I play dress up for a living because that's what I love. And that's success. That was one of the first lessons that I got in my coaching program that I did last year. And it was helping us to really figure out what success means for us because you get these outside influences of what success means, right? Oh, I'm not successful unless I hit these numbers or 
reach this number of people. And really, when I took that program, I realized that my success is reaching just one more person. If I can get one more person to hear our stories, a pick up a pet, that she can write her story, whether it's memoir, whether it's flash fiction, whether it's creative writing, whether it's a personal essay, whether it's a journal entry. I am not traditionally successful. According to like Fortune 500, whatever, I'm not. Right. I'm not what most people would consider successful. I have a PhD in theater. I have a mortgage worth of student loans that I will probably never pay off. I have gone through this really crooked road of career that doesn't really make sense to most people. But I make a big difference in a few people's lives all the time. That's huge. Being able to make a difference in even just one person's life. And this summer, I have six kids in my camp. It's the smallest camp I've ever had. And those six kids are going to have a heck of a time because I'm still doing it for those six kids. They're worth it. It would be worth it for one kid. I'm not really making money from it. It's no longer considered a business at this point. It's really considered a hobby, but it's important. You're following your passion and you're inspiring others and you're helping people to feel comfortable and believe in themselves. I mean, that's priceless. And I'm I'm still building this world. It's going to be something more. I believe in it. I used to do Harry Potter camps and I had 250 people. And someday people will know what an Iris Imaginaria camp is. And I'll have more than six people. But we had a couple of hits in a row with COVID and with the loss of our source material due to a disagreement with an author. I know exactly what you're talking about. And that would make perfect sense why you would decide to distance yourself from that. I have a transgender son. He was calling himself transgender for a while. Now he's gender fluid. It's all under the same umbrella. But it changed our magical world quite a bit. And I don't want to say negative things, but it's difficult when you lose your heroes. And it's hard to be strong for your kids, too. We keep going. That's what I think these last couple of years have been for a lot of parents, is figuring out how to keep going under really hard circumstances. I just started this job in a public school. And so every day I'm going to see kids who are in much worse situations than we are. And a lot of them have very little creativity in their lives and don't think that they can be creative. And it's my job to help bring the creativity out of them. I was only there for about six weeks in the spring. That was really challenging. And it's going to be interesting to see how it's different in the fall, bringing drama into a inner city public school. I think that is such an amazing gift that you're able to provide because creativity, for me at least, creativity is what helps me to find the butt house. Creativity is what helps me to open up my mind. And even though I may be stuck in a really hard place, I will fight my way out of it. I use my creativity to find hope, inspiration. I can start writing about something that I am depressed about or struggling with, and I feel completely hopeless when I start writing it. But when I see the words hit the page, 
and I get the gunk out of me, then I start to realize it's actually not that bad. And then I can start to find solutions and I find, I don't know, it's like this intrinsic hope that just all of a sudden comes back out onto the page. But I don't feel that hope until I get it onto the page. Think about the few weird and interesting teachers I had when I was in middle school, too, because that made a huge difference in my life. And they were the real catalyst to make me into this person that I am. I can't remember if I had any with blue hair, but there were at least a few that were the ones that introduced me to drama and introduced me to writing and introduced me to books. And I get to be that person for some of these kids. I did this whole project based on paintings where I put up all these tapestries and I had them write stories where they were supposed to go into paintings and what would happen if you woke up in the starry night. And someday these kids are going to see these paintings 10 years from now and they're going to be like, who was that weird teacher I had in middle school who made me look at that painting? And they're going to think about that someday. And I love that. They're going to remember that they imagined something and that they had thoughts that were outside of themselves, outside of their everyday reality. If I can give that to one kid, I did my job. I'm curious, can you share with us specifically what it is that you absolutely love about writing? I love that I can go anywhere. I could just follow a thought and then go down that trail. Like I can say, oh, I have a gummy bear. I'm going to make the gummy bear into a character. Now I'm going to make that character into this other thing. It could really just be anything. As a dramatist, I love that I can write something on a page and then see it on a stage. That is just beyond cool. It really is amazing to see my work actually acted out. What we do with the camps is just so much fun because we bring it to light. It's another step beyond just regular writing. I write on so many different levels. I didn't ever really expect to write novels originally, but I, I was teaching memoir writing in high school and I was doing this camp where I had been playing this character for 15 years at that point. And I wrote the play about how the camp had started. And my students said, that's a really cool story. I want to know more about that story. And I thought, maybe I should try writing the memoir of my character. And so I decided to try to do NaNoWriMo as my character. I just thought, I'll just see how this goes. And I had been the character for so long and I had this story that was the background story of how the school started and then the whole kill your darlings thing originally the story was how the school started I ended up taking that part out of imagine the key so imagine the key doesn't have the school starting anymore isn't that interesting yeah we haven't gotten to the school starting yet that's not going to happen for a couple of years, at least. I know when that's going to happen in the storyline, but we're not there yet. I am curious, has your 14-year-old read your book? Oh, yes. He's had me read it out loud, actually, because he likes audiobooks better. Though I haven't finished the audiobook yet, but he has 
heard me read it to him. I'm about halfway done recording the audiobook. Just the actual process of recording audiobooks. A lot of work. But he really likes it a lot. He argues with me on some point sometimes. But he's a writer too. And he has his own whole thing that he's doing. It's somewhat like fan fiction, only not. He created this whole role-playing game in-universe that he ran a couple of years ago that then I asked if I could do his role-playing game as a class. And then he was like, well, I don't like it anymore if you're going to do it. <laughs> yeah. And then he colored the illustrations in the color version of the book. I bought the illustrations from a company, but then he did all of the coloration of them. I love how you guys are able to use writing as a connection point, but also that you can then make your imagination, this thing that you're creating, it's a joint project in that sense. And that's absolutely beautiful to make him feel a part of that. He was like, but they should be color. It's a color world. And I'm like, but the color is expensive. And it takes a month longer for the color book to come to anyone who orders the color book. But they're beautiful. And so that's why I made the color collector's edition, even though it's stupidly expensive Amazon. We did sell a number of the color ones at the Pride Festival because we had them there and they could buy them right then. And we also had run out of paperbacks. That also, I think, was a factor. I learned a lot about what to do and what not to do. And I don't know. Next time, I will probably still do things all wrong. What do you wish you had known before you went into publishing your book? It's funny because I did this beautiful, wonderful conference, the Women in Publishing Conference, right after I published. And I learned all this stuff that I did wrong. I didn't have enough advanced readers. It still is barely on anybody's radar because it doesn't have enough reviews. I should not have published the hardcover through Amazon. I should have published it through Ingram, even though Ingram gave me like a really hard time. I had some difficulty with it. And so I, I gave up on Ingram and I shouldn't have. And now I feel stuck because I'm only published through Amazon. I have people who have told me they won't buy it because they don't like Amazon. So I have a question because I totally get the whole, I feel stuck right now. And whenever I feel stuck, I try to grieve what I can't change and then be like, okay, what can I work on? So what would be the next thing that you could do to help get the word out there more? Would you focus on getting more readers or would you focus on social media engagement to help put the word out that way? I need to focus on getting the sequels written first because people okay. are like, I don't want to have to read the first book and be waiting for the second book. And, and because that's how people's brains work. We live in such a instant gratification society. People want to be able to binge their books. And so the most important thing for me to do is work on a book. That's what I've been told. That's the biggest advice that I've gotten is work on getting more books out. I've gotten some chapters written. I want to get the sequel out by Christmas because it was originally the Christmas play last year. So it has some Christmassy stuff in it. The question that, my gosh, most people ask, especially parents, is how do you make time to write? So how do you 
make time to write? <laughs> my time to write happens best if I can do it before anybody else wakes up. That is my best time. It's like that magic time of no one else is going to disturb my brain. But then if someone else is awake, then everything else falls apart. I don't always get that, of course. How much time do you allow for in the morning? Like um, do you aim for a half hour, an hour, or is it like if I can even get 10 minutes in, score? Even 10 minutes, even anything. I jump around too. I don't always go in order. Of course, I'm right about time travel. So it doesn't always have to be even working on the same project. And I know some people can't work that way, but I almost have to. And I write on my phone. I write while still in bed. So much of what I've done has been on my phone. It's that in-between space. That's when I can get something. And sometimes it's at night. Or sometimes we'll have a conversation and I hear the words are interesting and I'm like, oh, I need to go write that down. We just had a conversation yesterday about whether something was in the sky. No, you tricked me. The sky wasn't really there. And it was just such an interesting conversation. And I had to go write it down because I knew it was going to go into something. And I have ridiculous amounts of notes on my phone that I know are ultimately going to go into something. I uh, definitely have tons of notes on my phone, but thanks to Google Docs, if I know where it's going to go in my story, I can at least get into my story and plop it relatively where I think it's going to go. I, I stuck with Google Docs. Go yeah. I was up way too late at night. It was like 1130. I just really wanted to go to bed. It had been a long week of being up even later and I crawled into bed and then wouldn't you know it? A thought popped in my head of a conversation and I was like, gosh, darn it. I was so mad. I just wanted to go to bed and I had to get my phone and open it up and just start like, okay, let me just write this down. And then like phone falls and hits me on the face. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to go to bed now. I'm done. I got it written. Thank you for smacking me in the face phone. Good night. And I find that it works best for me when the rest of the world is dark. Because if the rest of the world has stuff that I have to attend to, then I do that instead. And I need to be able to turn everything else off. I wrote my dissertation in a coffee shop. Coffee shops were really good for me because they forced me to focus on what was right in front of me and not somewhere else. Libraries are good because I started NaNoWriMo in a library. And so I'm like, I might as well write about being in a library. And I started just writing a scene about wandering through the Dewey Decimal System. and. That led to finding something in a book. I had no idea where I was going with it, but that part of the novel, what I wrote on the first day of NaNoWriMo was the scene of her walking through the Dewey Decimal System <laughs> looking for something. I love the endless potential and possibilities that writing allows us. Yeah. Yeah. You said in your writer's bio that I read for everybody that you're a survivor of cancer and mental health. And so I was wondering if you could speak to that a bit about how writing has helped you to just process the stuff that you've had to deal with in life. Yeah, I am an eight-year survivor of breast cancer and dealing with that has been huge. That's huge. I'm still processing how I managed to live while so many other people don't. It's interesting. The play that we just did, we dedicated it to a woman who actually did not survive 
breast cancer, who was one of my professors who I worked with for seven years, who was an amazing, amazing person. And she worked with me in the camp when I first started out. And we named a dragon after her because she was the head of Stone Dragon House. And so the play was dedicated to her. And my son stood up and read the dedication. And it, it was just incredibly powerful to be able to, to say those things out loud. And like I said, I know where the story is going. And I know that some of those things are going to come into the story later on because my character is going to have to deal with some of the things that I dealt with. And so many people deal with cancer. One in eight women. That's a lot of people. That's just a lot of people. When I got sick, I said that I wasn't done. I had a four-year-old at the time, and I still am not done with this life. But I don't know exactly what I'm doing. But do any of us? Good point. Do many of us. Spent my last year in that coaching program trying to figure out what the heck I'm doing with my life. And that's what led me to create Life Beyond Parenting. In this very first book, my character deals with suicidal thoughts that I had when I was in middle school. But she also ends up meeting me. If I could go back and meet myself in middle school, what would I say to myself? When I was in middle school, I didn't think I deserved to live. And my kid sometimes thinks he doesn't deserve to. I have sat up with him through suicidal thoughts this year. I have sat with him through his friends being suicidal this year. And I know that there are a lot of other kids just like him. And so that is why I have this semicolon on my wrist. That's why we have the semicolon at the very beginning of the story because the story's not over yet it's only just begun and it's heavy stuff for a middle grade book but middle grade kids are dealing with heavy stuff in fact i would love to read a very very small portion when iris talks to phoebe phoebe is the phoenix phoebe says There are people who need your light in the darkness, Iris. People who can't breathe. The darkness has gotten worse in so many ways. With racism and sexism and homophobia and transphobia. And people hating people for no reason and many reasons and all the reasons. They don't even know how to put into words. All the isms weigh down on us and crush us until it's nearly impossible to find a way through the ashes and soot. But once you've come through the worst of the worst, once you've been through the fire, that's where you'll find her. The person you've been waiting all along to be. That is so beautiful. There's a lot of really good in this world. I sound silly. I don't know why to say the word proud, but I am like, I'm just so proud and grateful that you found courage to write about these really difficult subjects because you're giving voice to other people, people who may be too afraid to speak these things out loud. And so they keep it inside them. They keep the guck inside them. And so they can't see the hope on the other side. And by being able to talk about these things, by being able to help them find their voice and express what it is that they're feeling, they can get it out and then hopefully see what's on the other side. 
You're doing very important work. The world is so lucky to have you in it because the world needs more people like you. I think the world needs all of the people that are willing to speak their truths. And I am excited to be one of them. And I am inspired to continue. And I am inspired by you writing your truths. And I'm inspired by you writing your truth. So thank you. That is an immensely important message to get out at the end of our episode. I always conclude with two specific questions, though. So what are some of your favorite books? And what are some of your son's favorite books that you guys have read together or even when he was little? Let's see. My favorite books. How do I choose? We have on our stairs, the book stairs. <gasps> our set of stairs is made, a, we've made it into books and we drew lots in our house to decide which books would be included. I would say my favorite book from when I was a child is The Westing Game by Ellen Raskin. What's it about? It is a mystery. It is a fascinating book about a person who has died and left their will for a group of people to figure out. It is a very weird book and very wonderful. I also love the Chronicles of Narnia. Narnia was my personal fantasy world that I was allowed as a child and the Wizard of Oz books, all Oz. In fact, Oz comes into my world. Oz is the first book that she goes into. Helps that is public domain. But I actually have been to the magical land of Oz in North Carolina. I don't know if you know that there is actually an Oz theme park in North Carolina. It's amazing. Anyway, I could talk Oz all day. I did my dissertation about Wicked. That's a whole other story. So quick side note, I was obsessed with the Wizard of Oz movie when I was a little girl. And I remember getting some red flat shoes and I just kept skipping around our living room coffee table over and over again to practice skipping down the yellow brick road. And I would sing that song. And of course, the Scarecrow's version as well. My son's favorite books, he absolutely loves the Percy Jackson books. He's right now, as we speak, watching Twilight, but I think that's a guilty pleasure. Uh, I think it's more <laughs> the watching. I don't think he's ever read them. I don't know that he would want anyone to know that. His other favorite would be Nightmare Before Christmas. Oh, yeah. The book and the movie. He actually loves the book. He has the book signed by Chris Sarandon, who played Jack Skellington. That's amazing. My seven-year-old fell in love with The Nightmare Before Christmas. And then last year, I put it on, and it was like, I put it on for me. This is my TV time, so, like, go play. You don't have to watch this. And then he was just like, what happened? He's been hooked ever since. So thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story with us. All of your social media links are in the description, so everybody can connect with you and follow those and stay in touch. And follow your story so we can get book two. The catastrophe should be coming by Christmas. That's the theory. Yeah. Keep us posted. Absolutely. Talk to you soon. Okay, you take care. Have a good night. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Conversations with Parents Who Write. If you want to connect with other parents who want to write, join my Facebook group, Parents Write Now. I can't wait to see you there.